Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking about a band that I really, really like, and I don't know how many people out there really know them. They're an 80s band called Modern Romance, and we're talking to frontman Andy Kiriakou. So in the early 80s, Modern Romance comes out of that blitz scene in the UK that births like Duran Duran, Spanda Ballet, Ultravox, and they put out some singles that are sort of derivative of those bands. They're not as good, and they sort of flop. Their third single is called Everybody's Salsa, and obviously for that, they take on kind of a Latin feel. Well, that becomes a hit, and so they become kind of a Latin-flavored R&B new wave band at a time when no one else that I can think of is doing this, and they start racking up all these hits in the UK and throughout Europe. To me, it sounds a little bit like, if you know that first uh, Haircut 100 album, Pelican West, with the heavy rhythms and the heavy percussion and the horns, that's what their album sounds like to me. It's called uh, Adventures in Clubland. Anyway, they have a bunch of song, a bunch of hits, but eventually band members changed, the format changed, the style changed, and these guys are done by the end of the 80s. Well, in 1999, Andy picks back up the name Modern Romance and goes back out on tour, and he's been playing nostalgia shows and 80s festivals and everything like that ever since. And I always thought it'd be really interesting to hear his story. How does a band go from being what they were to this Latin-flavored new wave group? It just doesn't happen. He tells us the whole story, and in fact, about halfway through this conversation, we get into a very profound conversation about parenting. He has some very uh, unique perspectives and fascinating, profound perspective for anyone who is a parent with his own children. It is beautiful. Well, I thought it would be really interesting to talk to these guys. They have a new album out that I'm going to tell you about at the end, so stick around for that. I hope you hear things you like. He, Andy called me from his home in Harrow, England. Now, first of all, I feel like I should ask, how is your health? Because I believe a couple of years ago, something happened, and I meant to go back and see exactly what it was, but I figured you'd tell me anyway. So you had a health scare well, a while back, right? Well, the health scare was this time last year. Was it? I was actually in, ho in hospital recovering from a motorbike accident, but oh. it's the most bizarre accident because I was actually pulled over on the, on the what you call the highway, uh -huh. the motorway, uh -huh. pulled over to adjust my um, sat-nav, because uh, my GPS, because I was entering a town, I thought, I don't want to be messing about, I don't really know this area. Uh, this is, as I said, in Cyprus, and I was started messing about, and as I was sitting there, literally for 40 seconds, messing about in my sat-nav, I'll just get the new coordinates and ride off, I was hit by a lorry traveling at 75 miles an hour. No. While I was just sitting there on sat-nav. I am reliably informed by the doctors that had it been three inches to the left, I wouldn't be here today. Oh, so wow. it was seriously close, seriously close. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I didn't even see it coming because it came from behind me. Right. So yeah. No way. So yeah, this time last year, I was I was in Cyprus, but it was 33, 34 degrees, yeah. really hot, and I couldn't go outside. I couldn't go on the beach. I couldn't do anything because I was sitting there with leg wrapped up and hobbling around at, at best um, and just not allowed to go anywhere not allowed to do anything oh, until I recovered in, in actual fact I wasn't even allowed to fly back when I was due to fly back because I said no your legs too, still too swollen oh. we really advise against it so I said okay so I had to stay a couple more weeks and it really was to a degree it was the holiday from hell because yeah much as I love Cyprus and it's great if you can't go anywhere and do anything you know, you can't go in the sea, then 
Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, yeah that's why you're there. Yeah. 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 So, oh my uh, gosh. Fortunately, you know, I did survive it. I mean, I do occasionally think about it, and I kind of shudder thinking, I remember the exact moment of the impact, and you kind of yeah. think, wow, you know, three more inches, and that would have been it. Yes. That would have been God. And I wouldn't even have known about it, because it's not like I saw him coming. He, right. You know, I was on my sat and hit from behind sort of thing. But anyway, I, and, wow. and that in itself has given me a completely different outlook to the coronavirus thing that we're going through now, because everyone's going on about how, you know, I mean, I mean, listen, let's face it, my business has been completely decimated by coronavirus. Yeah, yes. We, we, are the, we were the first ones to be told to stop working, and we're going to be the last ones to be allowed to go back and work, because, for example, a typical modern romance geek in a, in a field somewhere, you know, at a festival, yep. Yep. 20,000 people. Yeah. They're not going to allow 20,000 people to gather at any point soon. No, no. So, you know, we've, been, we've stopped working, but Everyone, everyone, quite rightly, has been complaining that oh well, you know, I've lost this and I've lost that. Well, from the twenty, from the twenty third of March when they announced the lockdown and said no mm -hmm. one's doing anything, um, we lost every single gig of twenty twenty. My next, uh. our next gigs are now May twenty twenty one. Oh, oh man. So we've had nothing, but yeah. People, uh, and I've had no money. I'm getting no financial help from the government. I don't qualify for furlough. I don't qualify for this. I don't qualify for anything. Yeah. But the one thing is, people say, "Oh, you know, how you manage it?" And I said, "You know what? I don't really care mm. about the money. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm borrowing money left, right, and centre." I said, "When I think about how close I came to being killed this time last year, yeah. this is a walk in the park. So I've got yeah. no money. Big deal. Yeah. Who cares?" And I keep saying to people. No matter how bad it gets you financially, you can bounce back from it. You can bounce back from bankruptcy. You can yeah. bounce back from being made, uh, uh, you know, being being laid off and being told you're no longer employed. You right. can bounce back from any of that. The one thing you can't bounce back from is death. Yeah. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And that's I said, true. So consider yourself lucky. You're still here. You didn't get coronavirus so far. Yeah. Yeah. All all right. Get on with it, and it will it will, it will pick up eventually. It might take a while. But we're still here to, to, to pick up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Such a good yeah. outlook on all this. I wanted to mention when I first became aware of Modern Romance because my so okay, so it was about ten years ago and the re the rewind festivals in the UK used to be televised on a channel over here in the States. And it was like a summary. It was like a two hour, you know, um, highly produced summary of the Rewind Festival. And I used to get, I used to look forward to this show every year because, you know, the UK, I, I my sweet spot of music is 80s alternative British music. You know, anything coming out of the UK in the 80s is my favorite kind of thing. And uh, I was watching one of those shows and you guys were on it and I had never heard of you. And I consider myself a kind of an expert on that on whatever on British eighties music, and I had never heard of rock, modern romance. And here's this group playing, you know, uh, best years of our lives. And I think you guys might have been playing I I Moosey.
I'm hearing this song and these sounds that are so different from everything else, and I'm falling in love with it immediately. And I and I go down a rabbit hole, start researching all of the stuff that I can find from modern romance. My assumption is that uh, you talking about you know the all the touring being gone, that's really your bread and butter because modern romance. To, I mean, you didn't have like a bunch of hits in the states, and I can't imagine there's enough royalties you know i don't know if you guys get picked for like ads or if there's money coming in from there it's probably a lot of these 80s retro festivals that you get to be a part of and that's what's pay that what that's what pays your bills and when that's gone there's not much else absolutely you've got it in one i mean to be honest i reformed the band in 1999 because i realized that the 80s thing was coming back yeah. Um, basically, all the, all the people that were listening to music in the 80s and were young, then got married, had kids of their own. So by 2000, their kids have grown up and these people are all ready to go out. But they don't want to go out and hear rave music or garage or whatever, hip hop. Mm-hmm. They want to hear 80s stuff that they were listening to as they were growing up. So I realized, well, you know, this is all coming back and you know, people were doing, the, you know, I don't know if you know the Here and Now brand. They were one of the first mm-hmm. to start doing all the 80s retro stuff. Yeah, and I thought, oh, yeah, really should get it going for all all the eighties bands, not just me, but for everybody, ABC, everyone, Sonny Hadley. Yeah. We've all got a second lease of life because we started playing live yep. to the same audiences we were playing to in the eighties. Mm-hmm. But of course, now their kids are on board as well because their kids grew up with the, listening to the eighties through their parents. Right. So a lot of those people, a lot of kids turn up. They're like, eight, some of them are nine and ten, and some of them eighteen, nineteen. And they know all the words. It's really quite incredible, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. But um, that is, yes, that is the, the main source of our income. So now, with what's going on at the minute, we're all suffering. But yeah. as I said, it will, it will pass. It will pass. Yeah. But that is where our, our income is generated from, and that is um, where we've managed to sort of gain a second career, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what and, I thought. And as you, as you said, yeah, and as you said, we, we, modern romance, we had a hit. You, you might, you might want to look this one up. We had a hit in the States uh, and in New York, we were voted best new band of, of, of the year um, because we had a hit with a song called Can You Move? Now clap your hands, watch your gals see You gotta rock with me, man, Jeffy D And I'm a real sharp fella and he's go-getter New trendsetter and you want the better So jump in the air and stamp your feet Cause we're rocking to the rhythm of the salsa beat You say comb your hair, boy, that's all me Rocking to the rhythm of the salsa beat Well, we're out to prove that we're super smooth The other guys are F-L-Y You've seen the rest, now try the best And here's the reason why Let me tell you I'm a red-hot lover There ain't no one, so boy, you better listen now My after shit in Cerruti made And my shirt's a Margaret Howe Rosetti shoes, my Oxford blues To rock a movie through the night And on my back's a bird, Rosemary The colour's perfect white Can you move? Can you move? Can you shake to the rhythm of the Latin groove? Oh, it's great. I ha- I love that song. I have as much of modern romance music as I can find, by the way. So yes, I know it. I love that right. song. That's, that's, the, that's the middle section of everybody. So it's the rap part of everybody's yep. salsa. 
But as, as, you know, aside from that, I mean, we had hits and, well, you're going to laugh, we had a number one album, a gold album in South America. Right. So we've got a, we got a band from England, who's from uh-huh. Essex, having hits with South American music in South, South American influenced music in South America, which is right. really, really weird, yeah. But no, we didn't yeah. have hits in America um, that you can really kind of... I mean, we did have Best Years of Our Lives that was appeared in Shrek. Yes, that was huge, yes. Shrek, but it, yeah, but that, was, that, wasn't our, that wasn't us performing it, that was the, right. the Bahami. Yeah. Um, right. But yes, our success in America has been somewhat limited, admittedly. But in the rest of you know the rest of all Europe, in the Far yeah. East, we have number ones. So yeah, uh, but yeah, still it's great. The, the live thing, live thing is that's, really where it's all about for us. That's what. Yeah, I could see that. So let me let me let's talk about kind of the history of the band because it's so fascinating that Modern Romance starts out as, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but they sound like all the other kind of new romantic bands that are coming out at the time. They sound like Spandau Ballet, they sound like Ultravox with the top, with the song Modern Romance. And then all of a sudden, you guys become, and I know you're not a part of that early version of the band. You come in when it, everything turns to Latin. And I'm just curious, who had that? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I came in at Everybody's Salsa. Right. By pure luck. Pure luck. By pure, okay, um, so here's my question. Because number one, where, like, who thought to go to, in, to incorporate Latin sounds into new wave music? And then secondly, you being a drummer, did you get recruited into the band because to play like actual drums or percussion or because you were going to be, Modern Romance was going to become suddenly a more percussive group and they needed someone like you? Answer those for me. Right. It's very much a case of being in the right place at the right uh, time. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the 80s, there used to be a club, a very well-known club in London called The Blitz. Yep. Uh, and the people that went to the Blitz were people like the, you know, the Spandau Ballets, you know, Duran Duran had been in there, mm-hmm. Steve Strange, all these people that were very mm-hmm. 80s. Were, and one night, um, I was with a friend of mine, and I said, oh, let's go clubbing. We were clubbing every night anyway. It's not where mm-hmm. should we go. Oh, we're going to the Blitz. And when I turned up, it was very late. It was about, 10, about 11 o'clock. And a band were packing up their stuff, and they'd finished. And I said, oh, God, we missed the live band. You know, this... Mm-hmm. Who, you know, could have been a good band. We, we, we missed something. Mm-hmm. So I asked a few people, and they said, yeah, they weren't bad. They said they were a bit funky. And I thought, I, I was a serious kind of what is termed in the UK as a soul boy. 
mm. in, in that I was very much into soul music, mm-hmm. uh, soul and funk. So I thought, oh, that, that made me, my ears perk per, per up. And I thought, oh, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Funky, that sounds interesting. So I went over and started talking to the drummer. Anyway, <laughs> I got a phone call saying, would you like to come and play percussion with us eventually? Because I gave uh-huh. him my number. I said, do you uh-huh. know anybody that needs a drummer, blah, blah. So obviously, as they had their internal chats and we need this and we need that, he said, oh, a guy came and chatted to me and, you know, he's a drummer, but maybe we can ask him to play percussion. So they phoned me and said, would you play percussion? I said, well, yeah, it's not really what I want to do. I'm a drummer, but mm-hmm. I'll play percussion for, you know. Anyway, before I even got to hear them or see them or meet them, um, I then get a second phone call saying, forget being the drummer, uh, sorry, but forget being the percussionist. Would you like to be our drummer? And I said, well, <laughs> hang on a second. First of all, you've got a drummer because I spoke to him on the night. <laughs> so explain that one and they said well to be honest we were going to get rid of him because we don't think he was committed enough so it's up to you if you want the job or not because if not you we'll get someone else but we definitely don't want him Uh okay fine i said but how can you offer me the job i said you don't know if i can play yet you know i've told you i'm a drummer i might be rubbish for you know and they said well they said well you used to be in a band called Rocker G. It was a very cult sort of band in London. And I mm. said, yeah. I said, right, well, you played at such and such place one night and our keyboard player was there and heard the band and said they were fantastic. So if you were the drummer for that band, then that's good enough for us because you said the band was great. So I went, oh, okay then. And there wow. I was. So I <laughs> turn up job. at the first rehearsal. I turn up at the first rehearsal, which is... Underneath the arches of a, because what they do in London is the arches of a railway, you know, a railway bridge. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They block it off and they make rooms under it and they, they use it as a, as a workspace. Uh-huh. So there were a lot of them, a lot of them are studios. There are very, very many rehearsal studios that are underneath the arches of railways. And they're really smelly and damp and horrible and crappy, but people go there to rehearse. So I went to this rehearsal and there I was rehearsing with this band. I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I heard them mention. A record company in the middle of the chat in a halfway through rehearsal we all chatting away and mm-hmm. so i went yeah 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 blah 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 record company i went excuse me mm-hmm. i said you've got a you've got a record deal and they said yes we've actually released two singles which were the modern romance and then tonight
And um, obviously, I didn't know this at the time, but they explained to you that we've had two hits, uh, sorry, two re- releases, and they've both been flops. Right. And we've been told that our next single, if it's not a hit, they're going to throw us off the label because three strikes and you're out. Sort of sure, thing. sure. I thought, okay, fine. And then this song just happened to be, it wasn't deliberate, it just happened to be everybody's salsa. Now what's that crazy rhythm coming from the street? The sound of people moving to that Latin beat. And now this ain't Puerto Rico, this is London, Everybody welcome to my own dream. Everybody's salsa. Is a bit of a cheesy song. <laughs> Why on earth? Everybody's salsa. It's like a real poppy sing along. And remember, uh, you're talking to somebody who was into the average white band, Chaka Khan, right. you know, Jeff Lord Profusion, all these, uh, Chick Corea. Right. I'm sitting there going, what the hell's going on? You know. Mm. Anyway, so we started playing this song and um, you know, rehearsing it and then getting ready for the first gigs that I'd be playing with them, which were in little pubs and stuff around London. And I, you know, a long story short, the way things worked out, I joined, we did this Everybody Salsa thing, which I thought, well, this is a bit rubbish. Uh-huh. And, well, I say a bit rubbish, I thought it was a bit corny. But I right, thought, well, I know what you this mean. This is where it's going. But, but having said that, I went to see them play live, obviously, before I agreed to go to the rehearsal. And there was a certain raw, you know, there was a certain rawness about them. There was a yeah. raw quality that I really liked. It's really yeah. earthy, kind of, yeah. And that that came from uh, uh, that came from the fact that everybody was just doing their thing on stage, and I I like that. I, I like the fact that you know people were just giving it their all, and I thought there's this real nice. Uh, I could see where people said, oh, they were quite funky when they saw them. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, cause the guitarist was particularly, it was nice and funky anyway, very kind of you know um, chic kind of sound. So. I thought, wow. yeah, I like this, and I, I joined. But within eight weeks of joining them, all of a sudden, but I say all of a sudden, there was there was something with, that happened in the interim, which I'll tell you about in a second. Okay. But within eight weeks, we were on, we were on Top of the Pops, which was the, wow. I don't know if you, you must know. Oh, of it was course. The TV program. Yeah, it Absolutely. Was the, it, was to, it was to pop music what um, Soul Train was to soul music in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, we were, we were on there, and I remember thinking, how on earth did this happen? <laughs> By the way, for anyone listening who wants to know more about Modern Romance, he talks about Top of the Pops. There are numerous uh, videos on YouTube of you guys performing on Top of the Pops and other and other British television shows and chat shows and stuff like that. And they're fantastic clips. I love them. And we did wear some ridiculous clothing in those. Yeah, you did. I but so did everyone it. else. It's great. That's what makes the 80s yeah, so yeah, fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Nice. So within eight weeks, everybody's salsa starts taking off. And now does that cement the new direction of the band? Well, if everyone likes everybody's salsa, let's just keep going with this Latin stuff. Well, well it, it did, because you kind of like, well, we've now had a hit. We've had this hit with uh, this new sound, which is yeah. completely... It, it wasn't, it wasn't um, thought up. It's just that the song lent itself the melody lent itself that way for everybody's sounds. It's got to be, if you're going to sing about everybody's sounds, it's got to be have kind of Latin influence. So lots mm -hmm. of percussion, lots of brass. Having done that and had a hit, we thought, well, we can't deviate from this because this is what's made us famous. Yeah. There's more of the same for the second one. Yeah. But the, the thing that is quite relevant, I, I don't know, although I'll, I'll take the praise for this, I don't know how the hell it came about. It's just one of those things. At the time, we we um yeah we were just we were just doing gigs like everyone else, and I I said to the band, "Have you guys ever done a PA?" And they went, "What's a PA?" I said, "Yeah, a personal appearance where you go to a club and just sing your song, mm -hmm. you know, you, you basically mime it, but you're singing it to the club, and they give away a few records, and that's it, personal appearance, off you go." Yeah. And they went, "No," and I said, "Okay." So I found a friend of mine who ran a, a club in London because I was very much into going out and clubbing I knew the DJs so I rang a friend of mine and said listen I've joined this band blah 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 do you want us to come in we've got a single act do you want us to come and do a, a, a PA and he said, he said yeah that'd be great so we did this PA huge success everybody loved the band everybody loved uh -huh. the music uh -huh. and um, I went yeah that's really great you know the band said oh that was a really great great idea and I went yeah and then I thought we should go on tour I said to them and, and tour the record you know along with yeah. Well, we can't afford it. The record company won't pay for it because it's not big enough. We can't afford to go on tour. So, so I had to think, and then I said, "What about if we, this is where I don't know where this idea came from?" I said, so "What about if we do a tour of PAs?" And they were, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, we'll go and do a gig somewhere, but instead of taking loads of equipment and roadies and this and that, we'll just do a PA, take a box of singles, some badges, whatever, give them yeah. all out." And as it turned out, what we would do is we would go to to Wolverhampton and we'd do, you know, we'd all get driven there and we'd do a gig, say at 10 o'clock we'd be on stage in you know, one club. Uh-huh. Um, obviously it's a three minute appearance. Then during uh -huh. one romance we'd do a three minute appearance, half an hour of signing, whatever. So by 11 o'clock we were out, by 11.15 we'd be in another club in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Do that as well. And by 12 o'clock be out of there and by 12.15, We'd go to Birmingham, which is an, a neighbouring town, mm -hmm. do one there, and then stay the night. And the next day, we'd go to Leicester and do Leicester and the next town, and, and we did that. And what happened was, all the DJs that were, uh, most of the DJs that were at these clubs, would all during the day be on one of the local radio stations, you know, Piccadilly Radio in, uh -huh. in um, Manchester, or they'd be, you know, radio in Birmingham or whatever right. they'd all be doing different radio stations and they would all start playing the record yeah. so all these provincial all these provincial stations are now playing the record so in the end the BBC had no choice Radio 1 but to start playing everybody's salsa because everybody else is playing it except the BBC right right so they started playing it as soon as they started playing it then people started buying it as soon as they started buying it then the sales started going up. And as soon as you sell enough records to enter the top 40, then you get invited to appear on top that's of the it. pops. That's it, yeah. And as soon as you appear on top of the pops, that's it. You then go different stratosphere. Then after that's that, you right. just take off. 
That's what happened, yeah. Wow. That's a genius plan. I've never heard of anyone suggesting that and and doing that successfully. I've never heard of anyone doing it since, to be honest. Yeah, me neither. And I could just imagine Um, what you're talking about. All the, the club scene being as big as it was back then... And you guys do all these personal opinion appearances, play the song, give out the records, keep keep the audience wanting more, and uh, and then it just builds grassroots wise from there. And then before you know it, your songs on the record on the radio everywhere. That makes so much sense. Absolutely, and, and, and we were doing two, sometimes three clubs in a in a town. If, it, if the city yeah. was big enough, two, two or three in one night, stay the night, which was peanuts. You know, just just to stay in a room for the night and get up the next day, have a breakfast and go to the next place. Sure. And we managed to cover the whole of the UK in a very short space of time, doing just the one song, but yeah. getting enough exposure for people to know who we were, for people to look out for the single, singles out there, stand by it, radio DJs to play it on their provincial yeah. stations, which putting all that together kind of catapulted the band to, to the attention yeah. of the BBC. That's great. So when you do you start, I mean, you start getting radio play, you've got eight or nine top 40 hits in the UK. You um, when you start touring, who do you tour with? This is the part I think is really interesting because, you you know, like you said, eight weeks ago, you were in like a a cult type popular London underground band. Now you're suddenly on top of the pops. You're probably did you meet anybody that you really love? Did you get to see any you know, famous people, your heroes, your, did you tour with anyone? What was it like as it got big? I mean, as it got bigger, obviously we met more and more people. I mean, I'm actually writing a book at the moment. I'm writing a book based on my diaries because I kept the diary before I joined Modern Romance. Oh, good for you. Uh, now, I have, to t- I have to tell you about this diary. This diary was born out of necessity. <laughs> Not because I was writing a diary because I went to so-and-so's house last night and I went to this club. No, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's because I was going, it's ridiculous, I was going out so much, so much. Uh, I was going out to at least one club a night, if not two, seven nights a week. Every mm-hmm. night, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what happened was, obviously, no matter who you are, I mean, I was a young kid at the time, you know, youngster, you know, between 17 and 20, 21, I was started going to clubs and I was going to so many that I realized that I could go to, for, let's just say, for example, Studio 54, just to make mm-hmm. it easy for some of the uh, American friends. Mm-hmm. I'd go to Studio 54 on Monday and on Tuesday I'd go somewhere else, on Wednesday somewhere else, on Thursday, blah, 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 and get back to Monday again and go to Studio 54 again. Yeah. Now, the one thing I was terrified of doing, because I thought, what are people going to think is that if I went to Studio 54 wearing for just for for the for ease, mm-hmm. uh, I was wearing an all red outfit, and then Tuesday I wore the green one, and Wednesday the silver one, <laughs> and when we came back to Studio 54 again, I wore the same outfit because I didn't remember that I wore it last time. <laughs> yeah. People would think, well, is that the only outfit he's got? Because <laughs> they saw me in that same club last right. week, with a, you know. <laughs> so hilarious. I started making the, I I started making notes of what I was. I'd go Monday. Studio 54, the red outfit, for example, right? <laughs> so when, I, when, it, when it would come round to month, the following Monday, down to Studio 54, I'd look and go, well, last week I wore the red outfit, but this time I wear the green outfit. So yeah. I don't wear the same clothes. Whatever, you know. So I started making a note of everything that I was wearing. That then developed into a diary because I'd write, you know, I wore this, and I'd go, went to so and so. I'd make a note of where I went, so I remember where I went, what I wore, who I was with. 
and it just developed into a di proper diary. I love so it. By the time I got to Modern Romance, it had developed into a proper diary where I'd write, woke up at this time, did this, did that, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, went to bed at four o'clock in the morning, met this girl, had a great time, went to bed at this time, whatever, and it would all be in there, right? Yeah. So I um, love it. I love it. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I've got these diaries now that were, um, you know, born of, as I said, born, born of necessity, but became proper fully fledged diaries with all the stuff on uh, that, that uh -huh. happened in modern romance. So I've got in there, I've got in there the day that I went to the Blitz and met them. I've got in there the very first rehearsal. Wow. Uh, or the day that, before the rehearsal, the day that I went to hear them. Yeah. Oh, they're not bad. Then I've got the rehearsal. So it's all in there. And I'm actually write, writing a book about it uh, based on that. That's um, great. So, but, but some of the things that are in there, I, I can obviously I can tell you because there's just so much I couldn't. Sure. Oh, I get it. You, I get you, it. To, no, I'm saying I couldn't possibly tell you everything now because you would be here till six o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> but giving you giving you some examples and also examples of how I've changed as a person. You have to bear in mind in the 80s, I was young, mm -hmm. and although I've got, I'm very in touch now with the, the LGBT community, as a youngster, it was a new thing to me. I mean, uh -huh. I'd think, oh, you know, um, and it's like, if I knew somebody was gay, I would think, well, I won't get too close to him because he might fancy me. I don't understand, right. I don't know how he'll take that, you know. Right. Um, whereas now, now I sort of, I think differently because I'm older and wiser sure. or whatever. So I remember going to, a, we did a show in about, I think it was about 82, we did this show I can't remember who the presenter was, but it was a very well-known presenter. Um, I can see his face. I can see hmm. his face. Was it? Da oh, my, David Frost. Was it David Frost? I think really? David Frost. Actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it was broadcast live to Australia, so we're performing at kind of like seven, eight in the morning because we're performing for the evening in Australia. Yeah. So they're seeing it in the evening. Um, but on the same show were Rod Stewart and Elton John. Yeah. So afterwards, we got chatting to them, and um, somebody mentioned football, you know, i.e. soccer. Right. And, and Rod lit up, right? Yeah. Yeah, sorry? I said Rod lit up, okay. probably, because that's his thing. Well, not just that. Elton John was the chairman of Watford Football Club at the time. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, and that very day, Watford were in the FA Cup final. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, so we started, they were chatting about football, and then someone said, oh, Andy's really into football. So they turned around and invited me to go with them to the cup final. No way. To sit in the, yeah, yeah to, go, to go with Rod Stewart and Elton John to the cup final, um, because I'm into football and Elton John's the chairman of Watford, and I'm going to go and sit with the directors and all the special people. Oh and of course, gosh. like an idiot, I said no. Why? What? Because... Because my brain said, well, hang on a minute. Elton John's out and out gay. Oh. Rod Stewart, I know, is bisexual. And I thought, what am I doing in the middle of this? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know about that. Whereas now, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Of but it goes, to show how, it goes uh, to show how the media and things that go on around you affect what, yeah. how you think and how you may react. Whereas now, I think, so what is there, bloody gay? If he's a crap, let's go, you know. Sure. Um, but... You know, and that's just one of the things that happened in the past. And I think back on it now, and I go, you idiot. You yeah. could have gone with Rod Stewart and John and had a right laugh and read, what's this game? And, oh, man. And twit, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think you, but, you telling that story, that illustrates...
the evolution of most people, of, of culture in general. I mean, we've gone from the 80s being frightened of, or, you know, things we don't understand to now being like, who cares? You know, it's yeah, thankfully yeah. for them, not a, really a big deal anymore. And uh, as and it never should have well, been, but it was because we were ignorant. We didn't know any better. And now we know better absolutely. and thankfully we act better, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know what, to, to under, underline that as well, since that time, obviously, I've had a family of my own. Yeah. I've got a pansexual daughter and a transgender son. Really? And completely like, yeah, yeah. And I go, yeah, well, you know, my son came and said, look, Dad, I think when, when he was, before he, he transitioned, he said, Dad, I want to have a chat with you. Actually, I have to tell you this story because Please. it would probably be great for some, for some of your listeners as well because what happened initially is my, my son, when, when he was a girl, at six years old, he said to me, Dad, um, do you mind if I don't wear dresses to school anymore? Can I wear just trousers? At six years old, no one, that's wow. what you want, darling. Not a problem. Right, okay, yeah. fine. So off we went. And, you know, he was, everyone was going, oh, what a tomboy, 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 you know. Yeah. And then one day, I've, I've got a studio at the, the back of the house, and I was walking through the house past the, my, my, my then two daughters to go to the back. And then, it, and then Steph said to me, Dad, can I have a chat with you? And I said, what was that? And she at the time, so just to clarify, this is my... Sure. Son, he said, "Well, I think I might be bisexual." Huh. And I went, "Oh, that's great!" Yeah. <laughs> and they both looked at me and went, "What?" And I said, "That's fantastic." I said, "Can you imagine the best-looking women, the best-looking guys?" I said, "You got it all." I said, "That's great, brilliant." And I just carried on walking. Yeah. Went yeah. to the, because to me it was nothing. It's like right. big, it's like saying to me, "Dad, I think I might have an egg sandwich." And I go, "Okay, yeah. that's what you, you want. Fine, right. and off I go." Right. And they looked at each other and said. What the hell happened? What was that? What was that? You know. Yeah. Anyway, so for for months it was um, okay. You've got a bisexual child. You know, in my mind, I thought that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And then one day, Steph said, "Can I have a chat with you, Dad?" And I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, um, "Well, I've had to think, and I've kind of analysed myself and my feelings." And and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I don't think I am bisexual. I think I might be gay. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. lesbian." Because I'm, mm-hmm. and I went, he says, "Is that a problem?" Well, she at the time is that mm-hmm. a problem? And I said, "Well, it is now." She said, "Why?" And I said, "Well, before you were bringing home good-looking guys and good-looking girls. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to bring bringing home only good-looking girls." And I said, "I ain't going to get a looky, so I'm <laughs> going to get really cheesed off now." <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, "Dad, you're ridiculous." You know, he started laughing. And said, Dad, you're ridiculous. And I said, "Well, you know." So I just laughed and said, "Listen, it's not a problem. But, yeah. You know, I, I love you no matter what." I said, "Yeah, big deal. So what? You're gay. You're not buying your gay." Yeah. I said it's going to annoy me because you're going to be bringing home sort of, you know, a boy every now and then, a girl every now and then. It's going to be all girls and right. they're going to be fantastic looking and I ain't going to have a chance with it. But there you go, you know, we laughed about it. Right. But then about four years later, no, possibly longer, about six years later, he phoned me up one night. He was at his mum's because his mum lives around the corner. Okay. He said, well, Dad, can I have a chat with you? And I said, what's the matter? And he said, well, no, I'd like to speak to you in person, he said. So can you come round here so can, to mum so I can chat to you both at the same time and not repeat myself? And I went, okay, not a problem. And I said, um, is it about your sex change? Mm. He just went quiet for about five seconds, six seconds to process it. And he went, well, you could at least sound a bit surprised. And I said, <laughs> come on. I said, I've known you since the day you were born. I've seen everything and everything yeah. you've done. I said... I, I was waiting for the penny to drop for you. I said, I knew. I was waiting for yeah. you. I said, I wasn't going to influence you. I was going to let you get there by yourself. 
Right. And um, do you know what? He's probably had, from what I've seen from other people, I've read some really sad stories, he's probably had the easiest transition to make with oh, regards family. That's great. What a relief. He knew I was on his side. Yeah, yeah. he knew I was on his side. And uh, I mean, his mum wasn't on board at first. She's a bit old-fashioned. But uh -huh. eventually she got there. But once he knew I was on his side, then he wasn't going to have a problem. He had a lot more confidence going forward to, to do what he wanted to do. Wow. Um, and I just wish that other parents, I mean, and that's what, I'll yeah. tell you what, um, Lee John from Imagination. Yeah, he's you been know, on the show. I've interviewed right. him. I love yeah. him. Right, lovely guy, right? We were uh -huh. out one night and we were chatting. We were having dinner and we were having a chat. And I said, Lee, I said, oh, have I told you about my, my, my kid? And he said, no. And I told him to tell him. He got up from the other side of the table, walked round, and started hugging me and kissing me and saying, yeah. what a fantastic dad. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing that I don't understand, and I really do find it quite sad, is that really, I'm not a fantastic dad. I'm mm. a dad. Yeah. This is what all dads should do, all right. mums. I don't, and, I, and I don't understand why people, when they knew about it, were writing me messages online saying, we've seen what Steph's written and you're such a great dad. And, and I said, no, I'm not a great dad. I'm a dad. Yeah, I, I just happen to be not as rubbish as some of the dads. Right, doesn't make me a great dad. It makes them rubbish yeah. dads. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the friend. job. And I, that's right. And supporting I, your kids, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. It, you yeah. know, it, what's the what's the phrase? Unconditional love. That's the yes, that's for. it. It's <clears> unconditional <throat> love is your child, no matter what happens. I mean, people people's kids have committed murder, and they yeah. go, "I still, I know my child did something wrong, but I still love my child." Mm -hmm. So how can you turn your back on your child just because they're gay or right. whatever? Right. You know. Right. And I just—it's very sad that it still happens in this day and age, and people still have this thing about oh, you know, gay people. And yeah. They, they want rights. Yeah, of course they want well, rights. Of course they're they humans do. like the rest of us. No yeah. So, um, well, good for yeah, you, Andy. I, That's great. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, it's say, normal. I'm yes. For my kids. Yes, good for you. You did what any good father should have done naturally. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. I don't, even know, I don't know. Sorry, I was going to say, I don't know how you got onto that. I don't know either, but it was a fascinating story. Oh, that's right. Rod and, Rod and Elton. Yeah, yeah. That was such a fascinating story. Yeah. I'm so glad you told that. Okay, so going back then to the music stuff. Eventually, now you guys put out uh, Adventures in Clubland, which I love that album, and Trick of the Light. But then the salsa, the Latin influence starts going away and you become kind of more of just a straightforward pop band with songs like Burn It.
why the transition? Why did someone think we can't... I, I'm guessing it's from a label telling you you need to change. Why? Right. What happened was the guy that sang Salsa and all that, who will remain nameless because I don't want to give him the credit of being mm -hmm. named on uh, by me. Okay. He left the band very early. left the band in 82. And the guy who was our backing vocalist at the time, who was a fireman, who used to come and do BVs for us, you know, could take mm -hmm. time off work and come and do, uh, you know, uh, uh, his gigs with us, was a fantastic singer, so fantastic. So he became the obvious choice to replace the singer because the singer wasn't that good anyway, to be honest. I don't mm -hmm. know. So, to be perfectly honest, I, I, when I hear his voice, I kind of think, how on earth did we have hits with this guy singing? But I, I know it was the mu no, it was the music. It wasn't so much. Yeah his voice it was the music yeah, and the melody didn't matter who sang those I, I songs think, yeah, yeah I, I think you know if anybody could have sung the vocal mm -hmm. and it would have been a hit it could because it was a song that was a hit not the right, singer right. and to, to prove the point people still don't know who he is and who he was and who was if you said someone who was a singer from one romance in the 80s they say well wasn't it Andy Kiriakou mm -hmm. no he wasn't mm -hmm. but I've been the singer for I've been the singer now for 20 years. He was the yeah. singer for a year and a half. That's but anyway, that's, so it. It's not, you know, that's by the by. But what I'm saying is he left the band and we had no choice but to promote the backing vocalist as a singer because he sure. was fantastic. Yeah. And I'll tell you how good the singer Mick was, right? Michael J. Mullins, you used to call him Mick. Yeah. Um, when James Ingram came to the UK to do Top of the Pops and do Yum or Be There, oh. Uh, Michael McDonald wasn't available to do his bit, so Mick was invited to go on top no. of the box and do the Michael. Yes, Mick, Mick really? went. Really? And I remember when it was, yes, and I remember nearly falling off my chair, thinking, "Oh my God, you've been asked to replace Michael McDonald." Yes. If that's not an accolade, if that's not an accolade, I don't know what is. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah. No, he was a fantastic singer. So through the as soon as. This other guy left, and we started doing. We did, we did um, best years of our lives, high life, walking in the rain, don't stop that crazy rhythm, all other hits. Yeah. But in between, on as B sides and album tracks, we were doing things like um, Abraham, Martin, and John. Mm. Um, we were doing things like Dance to the Music, Just My Imagination, all these yeah. soul things. Because he was a real soul fan, obviously, so was I. Yeah. So yeah. we started chatting, and we were talking Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the Motown sound, and Philadelphia, and all that. So. That's it things started to go down, to, down that route so of course what happened was uh, our, our um, relationship with Warner Brothers ended and we signed to RCA and as soon as we signed to RCA with the same producer Tony Visconti who I'm mm. sure you know I do um, did, yeah, did, yeah absolutely fantastic producer so we you know again not a conscious thing but we gradually developed this soul side of us and we mm. thought you know what we liked doing the soul stuff because we liked soul music mm -hmm. and we started doing more stuff which was which lent itself more to that soul label mm -hmm. there was nothing dowserish going on at all anymore no, it was no. um you know out and out like, as you said it was pops soul yeah. whatever right and i think the only reason that album was wasn't successful is because it wasn't promoted properly by rca i really mm -hmm. do believe that yeah one of the things i didn't like about the album myself was that um somebody in the band well the, the members of the band had discovered Lindrum you know, uh, sure. yeah the Lind yeah. yeah exactly Lindrum yeah. was a new thing and let's let's do everything on Lindrum and I think that 
took away from the sound because we were all about the proper percussive whatever right. and whatever you whatever you say you i can hear i can hear it now and i think you can tell that they're not real drums right. yes they were programmed and i was there for the programming but it's not played it's not right. played there's no heart there's no soul in it yeah so we're playing song music with drumming music that has no soul in it which was a complete you know you know ridiculous for me it was yeah not not the thing to do yeah um i think that that obviously i i think that um was quite relevant in in that it led to the downfall of modern romance mm. because the, the sound was no longer the sound we were known for yeah but we we would have had i think we would have had a, a lot more success had the uh had the had the drum had the drum sound as i said had the proper mm. sound yeah but apart from that i think that married with the fact that the record company and our management didn't get on so straight away they didn't want to be promoting modern romance because what happens is if, at the time if you've got a tv show if you've got a, a tv show ringing the record company and saying we have a slot available on you know the so-and-so mm -hmm. show for a band to appear who have you got available they wouldn't put modern romance forward and i know this from warner brothers days because i was very close with the people at warner's mm. They wouldn't put Modern Romance forward because our manager at the time was very, very awkward, and mm. he would make uh, uh, he would make ridiculous demands, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 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 demands that were just not warranted. You know, even if we were, even if we were Freddie Mercury, you wouldn't ask for these things. You yeah, know? yeah. We say we want this, we want that, and so in the end, the record company said, "Well, look, we've got you know Bucks Fizz available, you know, mm. whatever uh, dollar, whatever, all these different bands." Yeah. Um, five Star, who are on the same label, but mm. they wouldn't mention Modern Romance are available because, do you know what? It's, it's more grief than we can handle getting Modern Romance. You know? So mm. of course we didn't get the TV shows we should be getting, which is how you get your exposure, which yeah. is what sells singles. Right. And I think RCA decided at the time, possibly they decided that if they don't have a hit and we lose them, it doesn't matter. Do we right. really want this ongoing headache for the next three, four, five years? No, no. Um, so those two, those two things coupled together, the, the, the slight deviation in the music, mm -hmm. at plus the, the record company not being willing to, you know, put us out there, just contributed to the yeah. band just sort of like fading away and not doing very much. Got it. So what? Yeah, it is. So what do you do then from 1985 until 1999 when you revive? Modern Romance. Do you go get a regular job? Are you still working in music somewhere? What does Andy do? I, I stayed at home making kebabs on Greece. You know. <laughs> really? Um, no, no. I, no. Well, I didn't stay home making kebabs for 10, 20 years. No. <laughs> no, what I did is I actually became a session player. I just oh. started playing session. I did some uh, some stuff with Boy George. I did some nice. stuff with Craig. I don't know if you know Craig McLaughlin. I don't know if I know he that name. He was on Nate. He, he, he was on Neighbours, and then he had hits oh. with a song called... He had, he had hits of his own. One of them was called Mona, uh, which was, was the old hit. He had tell uh -huh. you know what I'm going to do. Tell you he had a hit with that one. Um, and then he had his own thing as well. So I did some stuff with him. Okay. Um, I did some stuff with artists that came from Greece, because obviously I'm Greek, so they thought, oh, you know, he'll, he'll know what's going on. He's a drummer right. that can play, so... When they wanted a drummer, the Guinness shout, and I played with all these famous, famous artists from Greece that would come to London to play for the Greek, uh -huh. yeah, here in London. Sure. Yeah, I did various little bits and pieces. Played in some bands, playing different stuff. So it was all music. I still played music. 
And it's only in 1999 that I realised that, hang on a second. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I had people saying, you really should start modern romance up again. I said, nah, it's never going to work, never going to work. Right. And then I realised, actually, it may work because people are going back out looking for this kind of music. Right. So I just started putting a band together. I spoke to musicians that I know and trust and said, look, you know, for, for me, it was a bit like picking people to put in a football team. Yeah. You know, you pick a goalkeeper, you pick, you go, he's a good right back, he's a good left back, he's a good attacking winger, whatever. So I just thought, well, he's a great guitarist. I played with him, he's a, he's a great bass player. I'd love to have him in the band. And I just said to people, look, would you like to join the band and uh, get a band together? I'm thinking of putting one romance together. I own the name now. I, I've mm -hmm. arranged to, um, I've arranged through David James, who, when the, when the other guy left the band, David James took over the reins. So when we had all our hitches, best years of our lives and walking in the rain, etc. When Mick became the singer of the band, David James was the sole beneficiary, I suppose, of the name. Got it. Because they're the two that started the band, but wanted less, so it, it stayed as Dave's. Mm -hmm. um, so I met up with Dave in 1999 and said, look, I really fancy starting the band up again, you know, whatever. Um, he by now was into management mm -hmm. and was managing, at the time when I met him, he was managing Sinead O'Connor, yeah. Jar Wobble. Um, he was managing quite a few. Damien, he manages now Damien Dempsey and a few other different people. So he said to me, look, he said, much as the idea is great, he said, I can't see myself on stage again. He said, I'm just not right. that way inclined anymore. Right. He said, you're, you know, you're equally uh, entitled to go out as modern romance as I am. He said, because you were in the band as long as I was. He said, take the name, off you go, we signed a contract, he goes, as we go, see you later, do what you want to do. And he said, if you need any help, give me a shout, but I'm there, I'm there with you in spirit sort of thing. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was lovely. And um, I, I, I am full of admiration and respect for him for doing this. Great. Because he didn't have to. Yeah. yeah. And um, he, you know, we, we became, I, I hadn't met him since the band disbanded. The sure, so sure. from that point onwards we carried on meeting regularly and we still meet now we meet Good. two or three times a year we have lunch we get together keep in touch by email and phone each other up all the time but yeah I, I took over the reins at that point got this band together started going out and um, yeah. I was a bit I was a bit blown away by the reaction because I thought you know how they're going to react to us but everyone yeah. was fantastic you know, well you can't people, go wrong the, 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 yeah I listen to that music um, and I yeah. can't sit still, you know, I, uh, it's just, it makes me so happy. And I would think modern romance playing on, on the bill of a, of a rewind festival or whatever, is such a perfect shot in the arm. You know, those things are such celebrations anyway. And, uh, whether you know the music from your childhood or not, modern romance coming on and playing for 20 minutes or whatever, four or five of the big hits it's gonna get the crowd going. It's so, it just makes you happy. It makes you feel better, it makes you wanna move. It sounds great. And I wanna mention for anyone listening who's not aware, I think last year you guys put out a new single, Rhythm Is My Lover, right? When the music fills my soul, it gets me in the mood. How can I resist the magic? Listening to the bossa nova, baby. 
watching all the ladies move from Cuba, Chile, and Brazil. So now I know why they just can't keep still. The rhythm is my lover, see my body sway. My heart goes undercover as I dance the night away. The rhythm is my lover, you can't stop the beat. We did, yes, I, you know about this. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's the, first sing- the first single released by Modern Romance since the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So is there going to be, do you, I mean, you know, no one really buys music anymore, unfortunately. Do you, Are there plans to do that again with more singles? Or do you think we're a touring band, we're going to keep playing our sets? No, no, no. The thing is, right, we... we we're obviously obligated by virtue of our history to keep yeah. playing the hits. Yeah. We have no choice about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. We went to do a gig in Singapore a few years ago, and the, the Singaporeans, being as organised as they are, fantastic people, and really organised and know exactly what they're doing, I got an email saying, can we have a list of all the songs you're going to play? Hmm. So I gave them a list of our, of our, of our set. And a couple of covers in there because we do some covers every now and then, and you know, just to change things around. And they wrote back and said, We notice you're not doing Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White. (laughs) Now, I hate doing this song. It's not a song for a singer. It's okay right. to listen to it instrumentally, but to sing uh-huh. it on stage, you've just done everybody's house. You've just done, you know, don't stop that crazy river, and then you go yeah. cherry pink and up and blossom white. So for me, it's a bit of a downer, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, and I said, well, no, we've dropped that. We, we're not doing that at the moment. And the, the reply came back and said, oh, no, but it's one of your biggest hits in the Far East, <laughs> and we'd like you to do it. So I thought, okay. I've been told I've got to yeah, do it. Yeah. I've got no choice. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so we are obligated to play to a degree, to a large degree, uh, the hits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So always we'll play it Salsa, Lucy, Best Years, High Life, yeah. uh, Don't Stop That Crazy Rhythm. Those five are always in. Yeah. And then what I do is, uh, I, I might sit in as well, you know, nothing ever knows where you can. never do Cherry Pink. I used to, but I stopped doing that a couple of years uh-huh. ago. So uh-huh. what I do is I put in a couple of covers, yeah, um, but covers that people know. Not sure. See, I, I find it if you're going to do if you're going to do a cover, you should do one that everybody knows, that everybody can identify with. If you're going to do a cover because you simply because you like it, you're not you're, you're yeah. not servicing the public. Exactly. Doing, doing a song I like. Doing a song I like that, that hardly anyone knows, it's like, well, what's the point? They yeah. want to do one they know. That's what they're here for. They're here for 80s. So what I tend to do, I tend to pick iconic songs from the 80s that I feel I can do justice to, and I'll do those. And we have surprised people a few times, trust me. They sort of look up and go, oh, my God, they're doing this as well now. So I'll do, we do covers, and then we'll obviously throw in things like Rhythm Is My Lover and you know maybe another new song. But one of the most rewarding things is when you, because what happens is, I'm sure you know, when you play a new song, because it's new, people's attention seems to wander, you know, and uh-huh. we go to the bar and get a drink. I don't know this right. one, I go to the bar and get a drink. But then having people say to you at the end of the gig, oh, great gig, you know, well, can I have your autograph? Bro? And then someone will say, I really like that new song. That was a really yeah. great song. And you think, well, people were listening. Wow, yeah. excellent. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. this is rare. Yeah. So yeah, no, so we'll always we'll always play try to play the hits. We'll always try to throw in a few covers to surprise people, but nice ones. And we would always try and put in new material because at, at the end of the day, music is about progress as well. You know, you you, yeah. you you move on and do other things. You just don't forget what you've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So we try and well, mix good. and match if you like. You know. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, when was the last? Has Modern Romance ever played in the states? And I feel I. I ask just because I'm in the states. We our our podcast goes around the world, but so I am just curious though if you guys ever even played over here. Well, we did PAs over there in okay. in eighty one. Okay, that was in eighty one for everybody's south. So can you move everything? Yeah. That's you know we did some PAs. Okay, but other than that, um, no, we've done yeah. Singapore, Japan, yeah. um, the rest Thailand, of the world, Mal- yeah. Malaysia, you know, Italy, Germany. Uh, you name it everywhere in Europe yeah yeah okay. never done okay states I would yeah. love to yeah I would so, too 
I would too. Um, okay. Well, we've Andy. This I have just been so curious about modern romance. Who are these guys? Where did they come up with this music? Ever since I discovered you on that show about ten years ago, I want to ask one last question: it, it, Is there a favorite, a favorite moment, or a favorite interaction, or a what's just your favorite memory from all of this? Hearing yourself on the radio, playing a show, meeting a hero whatever it might be a groupie whatever it is tell me your favorite story I'll, from all of this i'll give i'll give you one okay because you said something you know in all that lot there, there are many there are many in actual fact i'll give you two i'll give okay. you two okay and they're both they're both very very different the first one is do you know what a mini is uh, the car the mini yeah of course it? yeah uh-huh right well i had i had a mini cooper s which i loved when i first joined modern romance gorgeous little car sunroof everything and I'm driving it down the Marleybone Road and got caught in traffic. And this is in 1981. We've just released Everybody's Salsa. Uh-huh. And a car pulls up next to me and he's got his radio blaring and Everybody's Salsa is on the radio. <laughs> and I'm sitting there bursting. Yeah. I really want to sell him, mate. That's me. That's <laughs> us. That's the band. That's us. And I'm sat there thinking, he's going to think I'm a loony. He's going to think uh, I need knocking up. That's the best. So I'm sitting there really excited and trying to just look normal thinking this guy next to me is listening to our song he has no idea i'm in the car next to him and that's uh-huh. us and, and i thought and i can't tell him because it just looks conceited or it just yeah, looks yeah. like you're mad <laughs> right. so yeah so i remember that feeling of sitting there going oh god i really want to say something but i can't you know uh-huh. it's like seeing, it's like it's like seeing somebody with their fly undone somebody yeah. really important <laughs> and you want to tell them but you think well, i can't it's that kind of feeling. That's great. Um, oh, that's great. The other thing, the other thing that happened, which you're, this is one of my favourite stories that obviously is going to go in the book along with uh-huh. everything else. But sure, I, I, I ha- I've actually related this to a few people because it is a really well. You'll see. Okay. Um, there was a club in London called Zenon. And, you know, as usual, as per usual, Andy's going clubbing one night. This is uh-huh. you know modern romance days. And um, we've just finished Top of the Pops, and I said to my friends, right, I'll see you at Zenon, and then from there we go on to wherever we're going. So I went to Zenon as soon as Top of the Pops finished. You know, the, the Wham boys are there, Duran Duran, a few other people, Howard Jones. I said, see you later, bye, I'm off, I'm not talking to anyone, and I went to this club. And I walked in, and I thought, I'll go and get myself a drink while I wait for everybody. So I'm walking to the bar, and I see this person sitting there, and I instantly recognize him as a fellow artiste, and I went, oh, hello, so-and-so. And he looked at me and he went, you're one of the guys from Modern Romance, aren't you? And I said, yes. I said, I'm Andy, I'm the drummer. And he said, oh, pleased to meet you. Sit down. And we sat down, we had a drink together. We had a chat. Um, <clears throat> and he was telling me what he'd been doing. And, and he said, to him, what have you been doing? I said, oh, we've just come back from a Far East tour. And I've, I've actually just finished Top of the Pops tonight. Now, how was it? Oh, yeah, it was really great. Yeah, so-and-so was on, George Michael, this person, whatever. And then I said to him, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, I've just been working with Michael Jackson. And I thought, nice name to drop, lovely. You know, uh-huh. so we had a chat. Anyway, uh, eventually my friends walked in about an hour later. So we were chatting. I looked around. I saw them come through the door. And I said, oh, so my, my friends are here. I'm going to go. But listen, it's been really nice chatting to you. See you later. And he said, yeah, really nice meeting you. See you later. <clears throat> Shook hands and off I went. And this bloke's name, you may have heard of him. He's called Freddie Mercury. Oh, what? Oh, man. And it was just like... It was just like talking to the, my next door neighbour, you know. I didn't, yeah. 
because I'd just left Top of the Pops and obviously the, everyone that was everyone was there anyway. Yeah. Seeing Freddie Mercury, I thought, oh, I've got to go and say hello. It's Freddie, you know. I yeah. didn't think anything of it. I went, hello, Freddie. And he went, oh, you know, you're Andy. He said, yeah. no, he said, you're from Modern Romance. And I said, yeah, my name's Andy. He knew yeah. I was, but he didn't know my name, but he knows right. who, the, who the group were. So we just sat and had a chat and it was fine and, you know, off I went. And I think about it and I think, Mate, I bet people would give their right arm to spend no 10 minutes kidding. with me. I, I, I had an hour chatting to him. Yeah, you know. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so envious of you guys. It sounds so much fun to be a rock star in the UK in the 80s. What a time. Listen, the 80s was great. I mean, the hair, the music, yeah. the fashions, the people. I mean, there were some colorful characters around, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just great fun. Yeah, I believe fun. it. I believe it. Well, Andy, thank you so much for talking with me. I've been wanting to do this. I've been doing this podcast for five and a half years, and your band was one of the inspirations for starting this because I wanted to talk to bands that I love that I didn't know very well. And so we finally did this. I've been trying to get you on here for five and a half years. So thank you, Andy, for talking you know, with me. I, I did not realize, and I really do apologize, it's taken this long, but by way of an apology if you need me for anything else at any other time or if you come to England you make sure we meet up and we'll go I for a meal or something definitely I would love it I would love it I'm so glad we've connected and I hope my listeners who are less familiar I told some of my Patreon members that I was going to be talking with you and a couple of them responded with ooh I have such memories and that, that just takes me back so I'm hoping some new people get to know Modern Romance first I gotta say though unfortunately most of your music is really hard to find it's not always on CD. If it is, it's way out of print, and uh, or it's still on vinyl or whatever. I wish there was more of a, there was an easier way to get all of it on CD or or you know newly on vinyl or something like that. But in general, it's such great stuff. Well, listen, if people get onto me on the website, if they get onto our website, which is obviously three Ws, dot uh, it's modern hyphen romance dot com. If they yeah. drop a line on there, maybe after a CD or whatever, I'm, someone will get back to them to say either there's a CD available here or you can download it from here. They're, they're, you can get it if you look. Nice. Um, okay. <clears throat> um, apart from Rhythm Is My Lover, there's lots of other stuff out there that we've done since, like, you know, uh, new, new versions of Everybody's Sales and mm -hmm. more up-to-date versions of, you know, Walking in the Rain, loads of stuff. It's all out yeah. there. Great. Um, if, you, if you know where to look. So if people want okay. anything... Just tell them to drop us a line, or they can just add me on Facebook, Andy Kiriaku, and they'll see a picture of me with sunglasses and a microphone. That's just it. Add me on Facebook, and you can just chat from them. If you need anything, ask me. If you want to just be Great. friends, that's fine. Whatever. So you can nice. invite me to your house for roast. If you want to invite me to your house for a roast dinner or a barbecue, that's fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Andy, for talking with me. You're the best. My pleasure, mate. Anytime. Anytime. All right. All right, there you have it, Andy Kiriaku. I hope you guys heard some stuff you like and that you'll seek it out. So, the new album is a greatest hits package. It's called Their Greatest Tracks. And like a lot of other bands are doing right now, they're re-recorded versions of those songs for licensing purposes, right? So that way anyone wants to license some of their songs, they use these versions, those guys get more of the money. So if you wanna check out the best songs from Modern Romance, get your hands on that. It just came out recently and is already doing really well on the British album charts. It's incredible that a band like them would have this kind of success right now. So we're going to close it out in kind of a unique way. 
uh, he, you know, we talked a lot about his kids, obviously, and he's proud of them as he should be. That was so profound. Well, his daughter, Natalie Grace, just put out a couple of months ago her first single. So instead of playing another Modern Romance song, after this conversation about his kids, I thought it would be interesting to play her new single. It's called Ask You One Thing. Okay, Natalie Grace, Ask You One Thing. So if you want to look it up, look it up on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. It's gorgeous stuff. And look for the rest of Modern Romance. Okay, next week we are talking to the front person of a one of the great 90s alternative rock bands. Ba indie. Rock is a little strong. In fact, these guys will forever be known for one song that will never go away and it shouldn't because it's fantastic. Okay? And this guest makes some sense for Christmas too, if you ask me. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Malkevich. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. I'm so grateful we get to do this together. Guys, you can find our page on Facebook. You can like us on there. Uh, you can also like Modern Romance and friend Andy. He's very approachable. You can send us a message on the uh, on there as well. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We will be back next week. Thanks, everybody.